Hello, welcome to the fourth installment of Hedroy's Voices, the alumni podcast from Hedroy School. In this episode, we are pleased to bring you a conversation between alumna and author Kate Marchand, class of 2013, and upper school drama and English teacher Andy Spear. Kate and Andy discuss Kate's debut novel, Float, which she began writing as a student at Hedroy's and has recently been made into a movie starring Robbie Amell and Andrea Bang. Please enjoy. I'm Andy Spear, and uh, this is episode four of our uh, Hedroy's alumni podcast. And I have the great treat this morning of talking with Kate Marchand. Um, hi, Kate. Hi. Nice to see you. <laughs> Welcome. It's fantastic. I know it's great. We get to see each other. Um, other people probably just get to hear, but um, no, it's it's gonna it's this is this is a real this is a real joy, honestly. Um, Kate, for those of you who uh, who are wondering why is Kate here? Kate is um, Kate has recently published one book. A second book is on the way. Kate is the author of Float, um, which I've just finished and really enjoyed. And um, and Float is also uh, going to be made into a film. It's being made into a film. Um, so many things are happening in Kate's life. Uh, Kate's life is is uh, is taken off in so many ways. Wouldn't you say, Kate? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, I was class of 2013, so it has been a long time. But uh, I did briefly work at Head Royce, so this is kind of a throwback for me to get in touch with you guys again. Um, I was actually working at Head Royce when I got the movie news for the first time. Uh, this happened pretty recently now. I got to go up and see the filming in October of 2021, I want to say it was. It's been a while now. Um, but the movie is in post-production. It's really sad. I got to meet the the main cast, so I got to see Robbie Amell in person, which was crazy. Um yeah, no, it's it's been a really exciting time. And the second book comes out March of this year. Which is re- super exciting, honestly. Like that that is a lot to be going on all at once. Um and a lot yeah. of great stuff, honestly. Um let's talk really briefly since you know, since it's um you know, since since Float is out and 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 you've been to the film set and so forth, um who's who's producing this film? Who's who's in it? What can we look forward to? So the film came about because I started writing on a platform called Wattpad when I was actually in high school. I was, I think, a freshman or sophomore at Head Royce when I started writing on this platform. Uh, Nothing came of it for many years. It was really just a hobby at the time. It was a hobby for everybody who was using the platform. Uh, This was before the era of kind of content creators really got started. Um, So I was writing on this platform during high school finished the book up kind of after I graduated from college. And by the time that had happened, I mean, the whole landscape of content creation had changed. So the company that I was writing under said, hey, we we actually have a traditional publishing arm now. We have a film studio that we're starting up. I think at the time they'd had a handful of movies that they'd already come out with. So they were looking to me and I got the email one day that, was basically, hey, Robbie Amell's production company is looking for a book to produce and they really like yours. Are you interested in signing a shopping agreement? Um, I thought the email was a joke. I was like, that's, I knew Robbie Amell. He was, I watched True Jackson VP on Nickelodeon. I'd watched The Duff. So I was like familiar with his work. And I was like, I don't think anything could possibly come of this, but 
uh, lo and behold, next thing I know, we are filming in Canada. They flew me up to Canada to get to to see the whole set and meet the director. The director, Sharon Lee, is just delightful. This was her first movie. So both of us kind of got to go through the process together. I was like, this is my first book. This is my first experience with publishing. And this was her first full-length feature film. So uh, it was a really nice experience. But very, in a way, sudden and unexpected. And then also not at all because I'd been writing and kind of doing this behind the scenes, again, since high school. And and so I guess what a couple of different things I think would be interesting to talk about about the whole process. One is we should talk a little bit about Float itself. It is about a girl from Alaska who gets sent to Florida for the summer and basically says, I'm going to reinvent myself this summer. I am going to become the person that I want to become. I don't know who that is yet, but I'm going to become someone and quickly gets caught in a lie. and her next door, her aunt's next door neighbor, who is of course a very attractive young lifeguard, offers to help her disguise the fact that she has lied about being able to swim. Uh, so <laughs> you can probably connect what a high schooler was thinking about when they came up with that idea. Um, but it was kind of a, a nice opportunity to come back in my, my early mid twenties to edit that book. Uh, and now it's, it is what it is. It's being turned into a movie. The movie is aged up. Obviously, Robbie Amell was very humble and said, I know I cannot play a 17 year old anymore. So we're going to have to age up the movie. Um, which is kind of nice because the movie now I'm the target audience for the movie itself. It's, it's more adult. So I get, <laughs> it's not like watching a teen movie. Um, but yeah, no, I, I started writing the book in high school, which is crazy to think about. And I want to actually talk more about that in a moment, but I'm curious what the process was like for you of this book, which was, which does feature high school age characters, um, watching that get transformed and what your role was in that, um, as the characters were aged up and the setting sort of adapted for an older, for older actors, honestly. Yeah. So I, from day one with them, I said, I am not precious about my work. I don't think that I've created, you know, the best book that has ever been. And I don't think that you have to give me, you know, a perfect page to screen adaptation. I was from the beginning, I was like, Sharon Lee, the director seems to have a vision for this and I fully support whatever she wants to do with it. Um, which I'm sure they were very happy to hear that I had that attitude. So I got to kind of watch. It was really nice as the, as the writer, I had already put in all that work. It was nice to kind of sit back and have other people take the reins. Um, they were very nice. They, they gave me the script and asked me for notes on it. Uh, I didn't get any say in casting or location, but again, a lot of that was because I'd said, uh, whatever you want to do, I'm happy with, I'm just happy to be here. This is awesome. Um, but I did get kind of my hand held through the process of, okay, this is how we make a film. And this is, the steps we're going to go through. Uh, I got to see a back end trailer recently because they're, they're now pitching to, they're doing distribution right now. So they're pitching to different streaming platforms. They're trying to figure out how they want to release the movie. Um, so there is a back end trailer that I've seen, but other than that, I have, there is nothing I could say right now that would get me in trouble with them. Everything that I know is kind of public knowledge right now. So no, no, as of yet, no release date. Tragically, no, no spoilers here, no release date, no big announcement to make. 
I think it's actually really, I mean, it's very generous of you to have been so um, embracing of their process. I think I'm curious when you got to the set, um, what were you, how did it match with your expectations? Was it, I assume it was a pretty big production. Yeah, no, I was kind of shocking because up to that point, I mean, a lot of this happened during kind of the COVID era. So everything was happening over email. And I had a couple contact points that I was talking to other over email. Sharon Lee and I did kind of a virtual Skype call to just pick each other's brains. Um, so everything had been really remote and I'd only talked to a small group of people. So it really didn't feel real in many ways, I think. Yeah. Um, and then they said, okay, you're flying up to Canada. I brought my mom. I bought two of my friends who are both writers. I was like, of course, I'm going to bring you guys along. Maybe you can network. Um, and we got there and it was hundreds of people. And it was so bizarre to just, first off, that was the first traveling I'd really done during COVID. So we had to get our COVID tests and everything to get up to Canada. It was really bizarre. And then we get there and it's, they were filming in Squamish, which is this really tiny town north of Vancouver. And it was hundreds of people on set and everybody kind of knew that the author was going to be there that day. So they'd got me like a director's chair with my name on the back of it. And they let me keep like the, the back name plate. Um, they set us up in a tent with the script supervisor. So we got to kind of sit and watch all day the process and the behind the scenes. Um, they introduced me to a lot of the crew kind of at the beginning, they gathered everybody around. It was honestly a little bit mortifying. I was like, Hey guys, like, I'm sorry. I'm the one who wrote this book. You probably, and I said, sorry, purely because they were filming in October in Canada and it is a summary book. So they had to do all these water scenes in freezing cold temperatures. So I, was, I kind of had the attitude of like, sorry. And um, one of the, one of the crew people pulled me aside and was like, stop apologizing this. I mean, this is work. This is what we do. And you gave us a job for, I think they had been filming for, I was lucky that I came in at the tail end of filming. So everybody was having a great time. They were about to wrap up. So everybody was in a great mood. Sounds just a tiny bit reminiscent of the character in the book. If I may say so. <laughs> Apologizing. Yeah, no, you, you can call that out. It's definitely, I, I know that we've discussed that, but it is slightly autobiographical in like a really interesting way. So again, I, I started writing the book in high school. And when I came back to edit as, you know, a mid 20 something, there was a lot of stuff that I found that I was intensely mortified by purely because I was like, that's me at 15. That's, that's my opinions. That's my anxieties. That's my fears. And now that I'm, you know, 25, I'm looking at that. I'm going, that's silly. That's why was I ever like that? Um, but it was really nice to work with an editor who was like, no, we are, we're preserving that. That's what makes this book what it is. Exactly. Yeah. It is what makes the book what it is. And and the, that sort of freshness and sincerity and just authenticity of that, you know, uh, being faithful to that time in, uh, in, in life, it, I think really is what a lot of what makes it really work, honestly. Um, but I really want you to say more, a little bit more. I want you to take us back to, so at 15 years old, you start writing this book and you just start posting it online. And 
if I have, if I'm remembering right, the computer lab just down the hall from where I'm sitting right now is where you wrote some of this. Say more. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I was much like Waverly, the main character in Float. I was incredibly introverted, anxious, overall feelings of just, I don't know who I am, which now I look back and I'm like, well, yes, that's every high schooler. You really aren't special in that regard. But um, I spent a lot of time writing. I started, I fell in love with writing really early on. I Back in lower school, so I think fourth or fifth grade, we were given Alpha Smarts. And it was this tool that Ted Royce gave us to help us learn to type. And you could fill up 10 different slots with, I think they capped you at like 10,000 words per slot. And I thought it was the greatest thing I'd, it was the greatest gift I've ever been given, quite honestly, because I would start in slot one. I'd write until it kicked me out. I'd fill up every single slot. And by the time I was full and it was time to go back to slot number one, I had grown so much as a writer that everything in slot one was garbage to me. So I would just delete it and start over. And I went through this thing, I don't know how many times, but I started writing that way. I started reading online first. So in middle school, really <laughs> a lot of fan fiction, a lot of, you know, it was the era of kind of boy bands starting up. This was like just before One Direction came out. So we had our Justin Bieber stuff. We had the Jonas Brothers. We had kind of that era. Harry Potter fan fiction was huge. So I was reading a lot of that. Um, so I started as a reader first, just because I loved it. Uh, and then I found this platform Wattpad and it was 2011 when I actually made an account and was like, I think I could do this. You know, I've, I've done a lot of practice on the alpha smart. I bet I can do this. Um, and at the time it didn't feel serious. It didn't feel like something worth sharing. It felt a little embarrassing the same way I think. A lot of people who read fan fiction in middle school aren't talking about it with their friends. They're not really, it's kind of something that you're ashamed of. It's very private. Um, but of course I started posting for people to read, which was not at all private. Um, it was just the community aspect of it. It was sharing this work with other young women who were really aligned with who I was. I think a lot of us felt very similarly. We're coming from very similar backgrounds. It felt safe. It felt a little more anonymous than anything at Head Royce. I mean, I was a lifer, so I grew up with kind of the same group of people all through Head Royce. Um, and it was just weird to think about them knowing that I was writing. I was like, I'm, they don't need to know. This is my thing. But it really did take over a lot of my life. I mean, like I shared a bedroom with my sister in high school, and she has told me that her memories of me in that era because she's seven years younger, she remembers falling asleep to the sound of me typing. It was just always something that I was doing. Um, but yeah, the, the computer lab became a sanctuary in many ways, because I think much like Waverly, again, I really didn't have a solid friend group in high school. I, I had friends, but there was no solid friend group. I was really kind of a floater and I that led to a lot of, I don't know who I am. Like, I don't know what my thing is because it felt like, you know, there were groups that kind of clustered around having a thing. And I was like, well, yes, I play sports, but I'm, I'm not good. <laughs> I'm not good at sports. 
And, you know, yes, I'm in these different classes. I'm in Spanish class, so I have my Spanish class friends, but like Spanish is not enough to build an entire friendship off of. Um, so I ended up spending a lot of time in the computer lab <laughs> during lunch, partly because I felt kind of embarrassed and shy and anxious in that way that kind of the loner kid usually feels, but also because I was really fascinated with writing. And in retrospect, I was unpacking a lot of that on my self-discovery in my writing. Um, so the computer lab became a really, a really big part of my writing. And I vividly remember senior year, by that point, people knew that I would hang out in the computer lab. So people would come in senior year to kind of talk to me. They were like, oh, I know Kate's going to be in the computer lab. And I would get kind of upset. I'd be like, oh, I was going to write. And now you're sitting next to me and now we have to talk. You know, you, you, on the one hand, at a certain point, probably would have appreciated that connection and that sort of community. And then by the time you actually had, a th so you did have a thing, you just didn't think of it as a thing. <laughs> writing, writing was, you know, it, most, most people your age were not writing as much as you were uh, just, you know, <laughs> or, or, That's yeah. you know, uh, so, and obviously, you know, it, it, it has continued and is clearly, it clearly is a thing by the way now. Um, but, you know, then, then at the end of the time, once you've established this, that there is a thing that you really are engaged in. Um, the people come and they're actually a little intrusive. <laughs> I think that's, that's fascinating. Well, yeah, no, I, looking back on it, I think a lot of it was self-isolation. I mean, I, in high school was so anxious. I was just so anxious all the time. And I can now look back and go, okay, well, you did also have, you know, undiagnosed ADHD. You, you were a floater, so you didn't really have that solid friend group. And there was just a lot of this feeling that everybody else has a thing, everybody else, I mean, also coming from Head Royce, it's this environment where everybody's talking about, oh, so-and-so got into this Ivy League, so-and-so got this score on the SAT. Um, and it wasn't pressure. I don't, I don't resent that pressure at all. But I do think that it created an environment where it was really kind of hard to recognize anything special about yourself. It was hard to kind of appreciate the things about yourself because you were surrounded by other people who had special things. And it was hard to not compare your special thing to their special thing. Um, and writing was something that at the time was really hard to quantify. And I can unpack that now and say a lot of it was kind of the internalized misogyny against YA fiction and romance um, that I really, I dealt with that in college, especially in college. I, I was mortified to tell any of my professors that I was writing YA or romance because I didn't know how they take it. Some professors were really encouraging and some would look at you differently once you said you were writing it. Um, and it, it felt like all I could really say about it was the data. And that's, I could say, okay, I have this many million reads. I have, you know, 80,000 followers right now. And I kind of avoid saying the genre or what the book was about. I was embarrassed to kind of say, yeah, this book is essentially my high school diary where I am imagining, you know, myself as this character in a completely different situation. I mean, I really did. It is fiction. I want to put that out there. It's not that autobiographical. I've never been to Florida. I've never had the lifeguard next door experience. That's not, it's not real. Um, but it is emotionally a really honest story, I think for me. So it was really hard to kind of grapple with that for a while. 
Um, I think as you describe yourself and then as if, if folks haven't read the book, which hopefully this will make them more interested to read it. Um, I think, I think that the ways in which it's autobiographical will become clear. Like it's, it, it is a kind of a core autobiograph autobiographical tale in the sense that you and the narrator share some core traits uh, and the way they play out. Of course, the scenarios and everything are, are different, but I, I do think that the great success of the book is the fidelity to that character, you know, the character who does feel a little anxious and does not necessarily know where she's headed and, and, um, and have a, a real strong self-conviction. Um, I think that's, you captured that so effectively. Um, it's really moving actually in a number of spots in the book. So that's. Yeah, I, I will say that I think the process of revisiting the manuscript and, and working on it with an editor, especially my editor is lovely and she became quite a maternal figure for me when we were editing because I, there was a lot that I wanted to remove. There was a lot that I was embarrassed by and I thought this is silly. And she said, yes, it is. And that's exactly why we are keeping it in the book. Um, so I've, I've grown to really appreciate the novel for what it is. I think the whole process made me fall in love with kind of YA fiction and romance again. And I really, obviously I love it. That's, it's really fun stuff. Um, it can be very emotionally deep. It's really touching. And I think float is ultimately the book that I wanted to read as a teenager, which is why I wrote it, but I don't think I could have finished it the way I was able to if I had finished it as a teenager. I think that the process of kind of growing up was essential to kind of inform what that book needed to be and how it needed to end and what the main character needed to learn. The, yeah, the creative process is, is fascinating. I mean, the, the, the huge difference that an editorial perspective makes um, in terms of allowing a story, allowing sort of the creator to identify what's what's actually at work in a story sometimes is and, and how to clarify it is, is huge but i just want to pause for a moment and note that you know what you're describing is sort of like um the creative process meeting a certain phase in life right in development in that here you are a college student and i want to talk a little bit more about that in a sec too and that vulnerability that you were feeling sharing with your professors but you named something that that was you almost named it as an aside, which was like eighty thousand followers, several million reads at that point in time. Which you know, in a, for another person, probably at another developmental stage, would be enough to really actually boo you quite a bit. But at that developmental moment, in this form, um, there's there are so many vulnerabilities that actually it was it still felt like it was. Um, I don't know. It, obviously, it felt like it, there was some some real vulnerability in sharing it, which is really fascinating. Yeah, I I will say it was so it's so interesting to look back and think that I was so anxious at school, and then I was simultaneously posting this stuff for so many people to read. And I do think that I mean, this was not to get all kind of business side of it things, but like this was kind of the era when YouTube was still kind of fresh you didn't really think about content creation as a viable way of life the way that it is now. I mean, I, I always say when I was applying to colleges, I didn't know how to talk about what I was doing online. I did not know how to present it. So I didn't, I quite honestly, I did not mention this. I said, I, I like to write. I want to be an English major. 
but I didn't have the vocabulary and the way to present this in a way that felt serious. I was like, okay, what, what does 80,000 followers actually mean? And nowadays, like my sister, seven years younger, she got to fill out the common app and there's now a section where you can link if you have, you know, like a social media presence that is notable. That's, that's a thing now that kids understand. And I was doing it kind of right before it got really serious. So I didn't know how to talk about it. It felt embarrassing. I didn't know anybody else at Head Royce who was kind of doing it. I'm sure somebody was. In retrospect, I'm sure there were other people who were doing something on, even if just like a silly YouTube video or two. Um, but I didn't know how to talk about it. And I think it was only end of senior year that I started broaching the topic with some friends. I was like, what would you say if I told you that I was writing online? Like, how, how would that go over for you? What would you think of me? Um, and I joke now that it felt like my Hannah Montana life and I was very protective over it because I didn't, I mean, at the time I didn't want anybody to read the work because it felt too personal. Then I went off to college and by that time, you know, the news had gone through. My brother told his friend whose older brother was in my grade. So it was game over. And by that point, you know, I'm at college parties. I'm running into old heteroys people and they're telling me, oh, I read your book. On oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> no, I had that. I had that interaction a couple of times. I was like, I, I simply don't know how to respond to that right now, but it, it felt a lot easier. And I think part of that was growing up in college and just, that was the first time that I really introduced myself to people as an English major to which people are like, Oh, does that mean you write? And it, it became a lot easier to kind of be like, yes, that is my thing. That's, that's what I do. Of course, an English major writes, it's okay for me to talk about that now. Um, and that was kind of the first time that I had friends who knew I was writing and who really hyped me up and would, I mean, wing woman me with other people and be like, Oh, she's, she's a, a romance author. I was like, I, I didn't think that was something that people could kind of boast about. It felt embarrassing for a long time. <laughs> oh, that's great. Those are good friends. Um, yes. that's really great. I, I, I'm curious when like, so it, it sounds as though there was clearly a shift sort of identity wise also between high school and college. And what would you attribute that to? <laughs> this is going to sound so silly, but uh, for senior superlatives in the school paper, they listed me as most likely to go ham at USC. And I took that personally, I think. I was like, I know that that's supposed to be a joke. I know everybody's like, she is so quiet. She is, she's going to skate through four years of college, like USC, really. And I think I took that personally. So I really, something about college was like, okay, clean start. I'm not going to bump into, I think there were four other kids, four or five other kids from Ed Royce who went to USC from my year. I was like, I'm really not going to bump into them that often. Like I'm... I can kind of start over. And as a lifer, I'd never had that experience before. I was never like, okay, nobody knows me. I get to present myself however I want. And honestly, that's the experience that Waverly got in Float. She really got that chance to start over. And I was really desperate for that, I think. Um, so I, I really seized it. I was like, okay, I'm going to tell people that I write. I'm going to be unapologetically myself and, you know, party and do stuff that's fun and like not be so worried all the time about 
what other people think of me, which I think is a natural experience for a lot of college kids is once you get out of high school, I think you do have your first real taste of freedom. Yeah. It's interesting that it was a conscious decision. Um, and I like that you leaned into the, to, to your yourself, actually, it sounds like, like you, you actually just became more of yourself, you know? Cool. And the, the connection to Waverly is, is interesting. I hadn't actually thought of that, but it's very There cool. are a lot of parallels. It's really, <laughs> it's, it's a book that's very personal to me, but it's also, I don't know, it, it does feel like a little sister almost. There's like a, a fondness, there's a lot of nostalgia, um, but I also, I was detached enough from it that I was able to hand it to me, you know, this director and say, make a movie and it's okay. Like whatever you do. And I think part of that was the director talking to me and saying, you know, this resonated for me because I, I had a backpacking trip and I fell in love on the backpacking trip. Oh, and, and I said, yeah, run with that. That's, that's your emotional truth to it. And I think that's going to work for the movie. If that's where you're coming from, it's going to be great. Um, so just, I think not being so precious about, okay, these are, the details of the book. This is the world I created. Um, more so being like, this is an emotional honesty. This is the emotional truth that I was able to tell. And if it resonates for somebody else, I think it's going to work. Yeah. I think that I, I, I bet it is going to work. I'm, I'm looking, I will look forward to seeing it. For no, sure. I'm, I'm really excited. The back end trailer was stunning. It is a beautiful oh, shot movie. Robbie Mel, obviously it's Robbie Mel and Andrea Bang who I think you know from Kim's Convenience. I um, do. Yeah, she is great. They are perfect together. They have amazing chemistry. It's really, it's so different than the, the novel, obviously, because they're not high schoolers. Mm. But there is just that really endearing sweetness to both mm. those actors, and they really bring it. Um, I'm just really excited. But yeah, no release date yet, unfortunately. <laughs> Soon. Wait, hopefully um, soon. Yes, hopefully soon. Um, well, let's go. Let's actually go back to you in college. You set float aside, actually, in college. I think <laughs> I realized that I needed to live some actual life, which I think ultimately the novel benefited from. Is I think I realized that in order to be a really good writer, in order to be able to keep telling kind of these emotionally honest stories, is you you need to grow up. You need to actually be able to tell stories from every part of your life. I mean, I, I'm not married and I don't have kids yet. One day I may be able to honestly write about that stuff, but right now I can't. I simply, I don't have the perspective yet. And I think as soon as I recognized that in myself and gave myself permission to, to live real life, I realized it was quite fun. I mean, especially this was, I went to kind of a party school. I ended up joining a sorority. Um, I did a lot of kind of club stuff, a lot of writing stuff. I kept in really close contact, even though I did take a step back from that part-time job, the hustle of kind of content creation and keeping up with your audience. And it is really hard work, quite honestly. I stepped back from that, but I kept in really close contact with a lot of the writers that I had met through Wattpad. Um, I ended up reconnecting with a lot of them post-college. We started a book club during COVID. I ended up living abroad with two of them uh, last year 
One of them was getting a master's and she said, hey, you guys are writing full time right now. You are not tied down. Do you want to come live with me for just three months? We can do it. Uh, so we did. And just giving myself permission to kind of say, do it for the plot. Anything you do, anything crazy that happens now could show up in a novel and it'll be great. It, it really does help. Absolutely, absolutely helps. I, that was some of the best guidance that I got when I was in in graduate school. Also, was like, don't forget to live life. Like, you can't. You, you, if you want material, you need to, you need to gather it. You know, you can't, um, you can't sit in your room and wait for it to come to you. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, super good advice. So, okay, so college happens. You finish college, and then I'm guessing you, it, what happens to you is what happens to many people who have either you know thought about being a writer within the school framework yeah and then you then there's no school framework and what and you think what happens now yeah this this gets back to the whole idea of content creator as a really hard to pin down job i think because <clears throat> i graduated with a degree in creative writing and my parents had been incredibly supportive of that they were the exact opposite. I have to tell everybody, they are the exact opposite of the parents in float. They are not like that at all. They were incredibly gentle with me. They were incredibly supportive. Um, and they said, yeah, do it. If you love writing, go and get a creative writing degree. And I popped out of college and I went, that was terrible. That was a terrible idea. What am I supposed to do? Um, and I think it's still very difficult for any creative writing program or any academic program in general to kind of talk about how to actually make a living as a writer because it's really hard to do. It's hard to kind of get into these, these very small niches where you're able to publish successfully, where you're able to kind of intercept something like a movie deal. Um, and I think being a content creator was something that I, I still didn't see myself doing because I'm, I'm still kind of a shy person in the way that I'm not, I'm not about to become, you know, like a TikTok person. I'm not about to become a YouTuber. I don't really do that kind of forward facing stuff. And I was like, I, I guess I have to go find a job now, like a real job, a nine to five of some kind. So I'm sitting there with a creative writing degree, applying to a lot of technical writing jobs, I ended up working at a startup at one point, uh, like a, a Vietnamese coffee startup. I was doing technical writing. I was doing kind of all their, their customer facing stuff. And I was like, this is cool, but I, I don't want to do this. Like I, I would go home at the end of the day after working at, you know, for them and I would do my own writing and I'd be like, how do I make this work? How do I, how do I end up making this work? And the answer came back to Wattpad. And I actually circled back to the platform after being really inactive all through college. I circled back because another girl who I'd been friends with kind of in our high school years posted that she had had her book optioned for TV. And I thought that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I didn't even know that was an option. I mean, I, I knew at this time that Wattpad had done a couple things because I knew that there was After by Anna Todd, which is a Harry, originally Harry Styles fan fiction that ended up getting so popular, it broke the website. It, it racked up, I think it's billions of reads now. It's absolutely wild. So Simon and Schuster picked up after it became kind of an international bestseller. They rolled out several movies 
And once they realized that they could do that, I think once the business side of things, once they realized that there was actually money in this stuff and that, you know, the stuff that all these teen girls were reading, teen girls are really an important demographic. They're hard to get to because they don't like a lot of corporate stuff and they were really appreciative of anything coming out of the community. So suddenly that community became very profitable for a lot of people. Um, And I was lucky enough that I was in that community. So I went back and I finished up Float, not because I thought, oh, Float's going to become something, but because I knew I couldn't start a new book until I'd finished Float so people wouldn't kind of harass me. I, I was used to, at that point, people messaging me and being like, you have not updated in over a year. We are waiting for the chapter. What is happening? I'd gotten really used to that. So I was like, I, I probably need to finish up that book just so people don't hate me. And I started the book that is now going to be my second book out, which is called Whistleblower. And it is about a college journalism major who uncovers a scandal involving the head coach of her school's football team. Um, it is fictional. <laughs> I know I went to USC. I know we had our, our fair share of scandals. It is totally Ooh. fictional. No, any, any similarities to, to real people, real events, totally not my fault. I started writing that book and it, it was doing really well on Wattpad. So about halfway through posting that book, I got the email from the company saying, hey, we are rolling out our traditional publishing arm. We have enough funding now that we're going to do this. We want your book. So I actually signed for that book first. And it wasn't until Robbie Amell and his production company came in and wanted something for a movie that I got the email that was, okay, drop everything with this book. We're bumping it back. We have to do float first. Um, but yeah, I, I like to joke that I only got into this because Lee, my friend, had that TV option, posted about it on Instagram. And I went, oh, that's, that's it. I want that. I don't know how to get that. But, but that's what I want to do. I, that, that feels like work. I, I could do that work. I didn't even know that was on the table. But now that I know it's on the table, I want it. And that's what it, I mean, that is really what it is, right? It, as a, like, as a creative person to make, to, to have, find success as a creative person, you got to join that fire to what you already had, which was, you know, which went back to when you were 15 or honestly went back to the alpha smart, which was the joy of just doing it. You know, if you have that practice and that rhythm, and then you get a little bit of the fire, things, good things can happen. You know, putting yourself out there at age 15 and then consistently, honestly, all the way through, that's a, that's a real vulnerability. That's what it takes. You have to do it at some point, but to be willing to sort of stick your neck out and say, I think I've got something that's valuable. I think this, you might like this. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's hard as an artist of any kind. I think any art is deeply personal. There's always going to be some embarrassment associated with it, especially knowing you know, close family or friends or the worst is honestly acquaintances. So people who you kind of know, but they don't know you well enough. And you know that them hearing your work or reading your work or seeing your work is going to feel a little too personal. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. And I, I thank myself every day, honestly, for, for having just the sheer nerve to just join Wattpad and say, I'm just going to post stuff. And I think the Anon and Anonymity probably helped quite a bit, not having to to kind of put my name or face behind it for the first couple of years there was really 
the only reason why I was able to do it. Um, but, it was, you know, was it, was there no name? Was your name not attached when you were first posting? No, at first I, it took me a little while before I listed my name as Kate. And for, for the first couple years, it was just Kate. And it was only, I think probably closer to college that I started getting any sort of professional traction, I would say, where I was like, okay, this is, at, at that time, Wattpad was kind of wading into brand deals. So I ended up, I got commissioned for some weird stuff. So I wrote some promo for like the Sour Patch Kids. Sour really? Patch, all these different brands were really desperately trying to figure out how to kind of get that, the new Gen Z market. And they're like, okay, all the Gen Z people are hanging out on this platform. We want our, you know, we want to do marketing there. How are we going to do it? So Wattpad had a couple of these brand deals where I was writing for Sour Patch Kids. There were a couple of movies that did promo. I ended up doing um, some promo stuff for Masterclass. Uh, I don't know. So there were a lot of weird crafts. When you were in high school? Uh, the first one, I think, must have happened freshman year of college. Cool. Nothing happened before I was 18, I think. But it was kind of during college that brand deals started slipping in. So I, I ended up having to try to list this stuff on my resume because I was like, okay, now that I've actually done something and I can, I can kind of frame this in a professional way, I have to put on my resume, which means I have to learn how to talk about it. And I have to learn how to kind of navigate it as a business endeavor and not just a hobby. It's, I mean, it's, it is, it makes perfect sense. I think now with 2023 eyes to think about how, a proven audience, not only a proven audience, but someone, but the people who are actually writing the content, proving that they have sort of the, the ability A, to write, and then B, the ability to stick with it and really follow through. That does seem like a very valuable, you know, but those two things have value and it's easy to see why people would come to it uh, and see that there was value to be found. But it's interesting. I mean, it is a very non-traditional path to either working in film or publishing books. And, um, and it's actually fantastic to see because it's such a, it's so accessible, honestly. There, the, so, so many of the sort of gatekeeping mechanisms don't exist um, there. And it's great to see that like that can lead to this, honestly. Yeah, no, it's, it's exciting to think about how I'm very anti-capitalist in a very interesting way where I understand it's the system that I'm working in currently, but also it's really nice to see people get to kind of control their own fates more. Uh, obviously I acknowledge that a lot of what I've gotten movie deal wise has been corporations working with me, but the corporations are choosing to work with me because I have the manpower because I have the following that they want and I think there is a level of accessibility to that that's really nice where it's, it is incredibly hard work to jump onto one of these platforms and become a content creator. But it's really fun to see content creation become kind of a viable thing for young people to do. Yeah. And it's yeah. amazing to think that, honestly, you had built that pathway really by the time you graduated from high school. You know, even if the offers for, for actual employment weren't coming until early college, like, you, there were the thousands of followers already there. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's a lot of work. Sometimes I think, okay, I'm getting into my late twenties now. 
And then I remember that I've been writing since I was about 13. So I'm like, no, I, I feel like a veteran. I'm allowed to feel like a veteran at this point because I've been doing this for a long time. Absolutely. 100%. You've, you've written two books. Uh, that's, I mean, that's remarkable all by itself. Honestly, remarkable at any age, I would say. Um, so that leads to the question. Now, the second book seems to be on it, on the path to publication. So what's next, Kate? Well, I, <laughs> my mom has spilled the beans on this to just about everybody she can get her hands on. But I have started writing uh, adult romance under a pen name. And I chose a pen name specifically because when you get your start under your real name as a YA author, uh, you do have some responsibility to make sure that no mothers of 14-year-olds are accidentally also picking up your adult work and handing that to their young children. So I, I think my writing has always aged with me. I've always been really writing from the place that I am at currently. So Float was very young. Whistleblower is kind of my college book. And I've started writing stuff that is more, okay, maybe a tail end of college, first job, first everything straight out of college. And I'm, I'm assuming it's just going to get older with me. So pen names are a really useful tool for writers to kind of differentiate. You've got a brand for every pen name. You've got a different genre, a different category you're tackling. Um, so it's, it's nice because it gives me some privacy and some time to kind of work on my new stuff without the same audience. That being said, my new stuff does also have an audience. There's quite a bit of overlap at this point where because the new pen name started off on Wattpad as well, there were people that read my stuff and were like, I recognize you. I know this voice. Um, so kind of navigating what's the next venture for me has been, okay, I need a, I need a pen name. I'm still working very closely with Wattpad. Uh, they've been offering me a lot of stuff with my new books. I'm kind of trying to navigate what's coming next in that regard. Um, but yeah, just a lot more writing because uh, it's one of those things where a movie deal is great. Obviously, two books published is great, but you have to keep going. That's the, <laughs> the crazy part about writing. A lot of people think of it as like, obviously, you have your, you know, your Twilights and your Harry Potters and your Hunger Games where those authors, they never have to lift their finger again. They're done. Um, but for the vast majority of authors you do have to keep going. And unfortunately I am young enough that I simply, I cannot sit back and stop. It's like, I, I have to do, I do have to work and it's lovely to wake up. I'm currently living with my brother, uh, who is also a head Royce grad and he is an accountant. So he does his accounting every day, nine to five, very structured. And he has to watch me do what I do, which is this complete mishmash of, okay, it's 9 p.m. I'm going to sit down and write. It's six in the morning. And because of time differences, I have to jump on a marketing call um, because the company I work for is Canadian and they're East Coast based. So I, this poor kid who lives with me is like, why can't you keep a normal schedule? And I'm like, I love this. This works for me. Do you have a specific writing practice or do you just, is it sort of catch a sketch can? Um, it's, it's usually, I try to hit 500 to a thousand words per day if I can. Um, and I've been trying to be better about not working on weekends. Tragically, the whole work from home stuff is really fun for me, but because I, I love my work, but it's also work. 
I do get in trouble where I'm like, I have written every single day for the past month. I need to take a break. It's very hard for me to take breaks sometimes because I do really enjoy what I what I do. When you're really in the thick of a manuscript, it does feel a lot like a puzzle. So I'll, it's just one of those things where you're ruminating at night. You're like, how do I fix this one thing? This thing is bugging me. How do I make these pieces click together? Uh, I mean, I could go on forever because this is really, I love doing this, but it's it's hard to kind of navigate keeping your own schedule. And I think that's the phase I'm in right now is, okay, now that I have enough success that I can say, yes, this is a job. I'm allowed to treat this like a job. I'm allowed to pursue this. The next step is being like, okay, but don't overdo it. Don't burn yourself out. You have to kind of pace yourself and be able to keep doing this, hopefully for the next 10, 20 years. Oh, I, I would assume. Yeah. I, th I, I think that you've, you, you, you've made that possible. I, I'm just, maybe I'm an optimist, but it seems like um, two books out, more books on the way and, and, a and a healthy practice that you still appreciate, you know, that you yeah. loving doing it is, is a beautiful thing actually. Yeah. No, it, it took a while to get to the point where I was able to kind of embrace art. And I, I look back and I'm like, nothing at Hemorrhoids ever discouraged me from art. I was always very much an appreciation of art. I still vividly remember being in Stevie Kaplan's classroom and us talking about kind of the hero's journey story structure. And I was like, this, this right here, this does it for me. And I think there was so much there that I can look back and say, I should have known earlier. I, I think I was, sometimes I'm like, I wish I'd been born about 10 years later so that when I was in high school, I would have had more of a vocabulary to be like, no, this is, this is a valid way of doing things. I think I got stuck right in that time period where it was like, yes, everybody's, people are doing this and they're finding some success. Like they're obviously getting attention, but we don't know yet what that means for the industry. I mean, I think it was even 15 years ago, self-publishing wasn't an option. You couldn't really self-publish. And nowadays traditional publishers are kind of struggling to keep up with self-publishing. So yeah. the industry is changing so quickly my, my parents sometimes are like, why didn't school prepare you better? Like USC could have prepared you better. I'm like, they had no idea. Nobody knew. Nobody can predict what it's going to look like five years from now. That's absolutely right. And, and yet at the same time, the practice of what you're doing is fundamentally probably very similar. You know, the actual putting of words together, as you say, like unpuzzling a story. And a lot of the story structures are, uh, they're as, you know, as old as humans, um, the, the formats, the avenues to get to, I guess I would say paid work are, are definitely new. Like that, that is very, and changing all the time, but it's kind of beautiful actually to think about, um, at heart, you're a storyteller, you know? Um, yeah. and that, yeah. that's, that's where, that's what drives your success actually is that that's what you do and, yeah. and you, you pay attention to it. And you attend to the human sides of it. Um, and that's what that's what's gonna that's always what's gonna engage about a story, right? It's the ability to to make it real. Yeah. And I will tell you right now that uh, your class, my senior year, I took short story. That was the first time that I ever gave a piece of my creative writing to people that I knew in real life. So we had to turn in a short story. 
And I think I missed the class where everybody was reading each other's stories and giving critiques on them. So I didn't have to actually face people when they did it, but I did have to come in after and have people look me in the eye and be like, we read your story. And I, I do feel like that was probably kind of a big shift for me that, that moment when I had somebody in real life be like, yeah, I read your work. Like it was, it was good. And not be like, that's so weird. Like that came out of your brain. That's so, it, it felt a little bit easier to do after that. So your class was the first time that I shared creative writing. Well, I'm glad, even if I forced you to do it, I'm, I guess I'm glad I did. I will say that there are a few people going back over the years who I remember from work in that class, just thinking that's a writer, you know, who knows what will happen, who knows how it will transpire, what they will decide to do with it. But you were undoubtedly one of them. You're one of a few people who I, I, I put in that category who like, it was clear. And now it's clear why, you know, because you'd been writing, <laughs> you'd been writing for, for years already by the time you got to that class. It was, it was not something that was brand new. Yeah. Well, that means a lot to me actually. So thank you. Oh, yeah, don't get sassy on me. It was transparent. It was obvious. I could have shown it to anybody. They would have said the same thing. No question. I'm just glad, honestly, I was just thrilled to learn that you'd kept at it. Because honestly, that's one of the hardest things for people to do creatively is to find a way to sustain the practice if it's something that you like. Um, and and it's just beautiful to me that you're still doing it, and particularly that you're finding success. Deserve, Well-deserved success as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but you know, success comes in, in, in at weird moments and in weird ways. And that it is fueling you getting to keep doing it is just fantastic. I can't wait to read the next one. I'm ready. I finished the first one last night and I'm ready for number two. So come on, March, let's go. <laughs> well, the next one is coming out uh, mid-March. I think it's March 14th, which is unfortunate. It's like three days before my brother's birthday. So I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't pick it, but I am stealing your birthday thunder a little bit. Um, but he'll, it's, be right. it's he'll be okay. Cause he gets to tell people that he's your brother. So that's cool. He, I, I do have to say, again, I will say Waverly's family situation is nothing like my family situation because my parents have been so supportive. My mother obviously tells everybody, literally, I went to our dentist's office and the the woman behind the counter was like, you're, oh, your mom came in a couple months ago to get her teeth cleaned and she mentioned that you wrote a book. So I bought the book. I was like, this is mortifying. She tells everybody, uh, my brother tells everybody he has some of his accountant co-workers have bought my book and read it. Um, there you go. All the way back to eighth grade, he's been telling people, so you know. Yeah. No, he was he was the first one to spill the beans, I think, back senior year, my senior year. Little eighth grader decides, I'm just going to tell my friend who happens to have a, you know an older brother in your grade. It surely won't get back to you. <laughs> yeah. And now... And now look at what's happening. Next thing he'll be telling people is like that movie is based on my sister's book. So thank you so much for having me on this podcast, but it's been really, I do have to say that head Royce has been such an, obviously I could go back to the alpha smart days of it, but also um, in kind of that transitory period of time before all of this happened for me, there was outreach from head Royce kind of looking for, oh, somebody's out from the head's office. We'd love to have somebody fill in for her. And it was supposed to be, I think, a couple months. 
And I ended up staying there for almost two years, I think. Um, and I, I got to work in the head's office. I worked in the development office. I worked in admissions for a brief period of time. Um, and it was really kind of, I feel like it came full circle that all of this happened at the time that I was working at Head Royce again. It felt very, I won't say healing, but it definitely felt like a nice look how far you've come moment. When I got to say, okay, I, I wrote this book in high school and told nobody. And now I get to tell my Head Royce coworkers and old teachers, hey, look what I'm doing right now. Look what I get to do. That's awesome. That's so great. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm so glad that also that you actually got that experience. So well-deserved and well-earned, I must say. Kate, it's been fantastic to have this opportunity to talk with you and um, so generous of you to offer up this much time to this little podcast project. Um, and it is, I will say, as a teacher, um, one of the most beautiful experiences that we can have is to reconnect with our alums who are out there in the world doing the thing that they want to be doing and um, and just offering great things to the world. Um, it's so meaningful and wonderful. It's great to connect that person who sat across the room from me um, all those years ago, 10 years ago, um, with who you are now. Just this impressive, amazing person out there doing great stuff. So... Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hedroy's Voices. Kate's debut novel, Float, is currently available for purchase online and in stores. Look for her second novel, Whistleblower, which will be available on March 14th. The movie adaptation of Float will be released in the very near future. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes of Hedroy's Voices featuring faculty, students, and members of the amazing alumni community. Until next time.